You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our hope every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and who understand the value of uh, what that context means for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Joe Epley, and today we are continuing a conversation about a rural resource. From time to time, we like to bring you guys uh, resources beyond our podcast that could uh, just help any rural minister, lay leader, volunteer to uh, feel more equipped and more empowered to do ministry where you're at. And so uh, last week, if you tuned into that interview, we got to interview two uh, ministers who contributed. And uh, the the book itself is called Church Out Here, and it's really a collaboration project where uh, there was 12 different voices that got to contribute a chapter. And it's just filled with all sorts of great practical theological wisdom on uh, what it means to, yeah, pastor the rural church, to kind of to get on that bull in a sense to, to handle that rodeo, because it's a whole different world and rural ministry um, is definitely unique in its uh, and who it reaches and, and the tools kind of needed to make it happen. Uh, so today, we're again, we're going to continue that conversation. We've got a couple of the contributors here, um, Pastor Will Basham and Pastor Sam Byers, and uh, they both in their chapters, what I loved about both of them is they talked about community. And and uh, Sam focused more on the community of the pastor themselves. How do we effectively be uh, ministers who are in community? And then Pastor Will focused on uh, just kind of the church as community. What does it look like to be effective uh, in, in our context? And so uh, before we get into it, I just want to say hi to both these gentlemen. So Pastor Will, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Uh, our church is actually in the middle of a big building renovation project, so um, I'm tired, but uh, <laughs> a lot of things to be joyful about, and uh, God's really blessing the work out here in West Virginia, so glad to be on the podcast. Awesome. And then Pastor Sam Byers, how are you doing, man? Man, I am better than I deserve. That's my my go-to. It keeps keeps my perspective set. But whereas Will is, is tired, I just came back from a uh, three-month sabbatical about Six weeks ago, I've been at uh, the church I pastored for 10 years and got a uh, sabbatical this this past uh, beginning right before the summer. So I, I am I'm still fairly refreshed. I'm not as tired yet. <laughs> well, I love well, that, rub, you know? rub it in, Sam. I'm going to need yeah, a that's right. here pretty soon. That's right. <clears throat> oh, man. What a what a party. Well, hey, uh, we like to ask on this podcast. We like to kind of take a second and review where we're at and what we've been doing. And so uh, maybe Pastor Sam, starting with you, why don't you just walk me through your background in ministry and your connection to the rural church? You know, how'd you get from point A to point B? What have you done? And 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 what does the rural church mean to you? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a, uh, a rural church, grew up in a town of uh, a thousand people and the Lord saved me during my teenage years. And I, I knew I wanted to be involved with ministry somehow. And uh, it wasn't until I went to college that I found out that there were people other than pastors who got paid to do ministry and that they got paid full time. And so I decided uh, to go into youth ministry and uh, my two stints in youth ministry were not at rural churches. But then eventually we went into church planning and came back to a a more more rural. You know, there's a spectrum of what's a rural church. Yeah, uh, of course. Of so course. when 
went and planted a church in a more rural community and then uh, went back eventually on staff at a church in the suburban St. Louis area and then uh, tried to church plant again. It wasn't wasn't a fa- failure, just wasn't the success that we'd hoped for. And uh, it was sure. really, though, the, the uh, key step into bringing us to the rural community where we're we're at now have been for the past 10 years, uh, revitalization mm. of a first Baptist church, um, in a town of about 2000 people. And so this has been, this has been a, uh, a very, there were some hard times, but, but the Lord has made it very sweet and Lord willing, this is the last, the last stop on the train for us. Sure. Sure. Well, Pastor Will, you've been on the podcast before. You know, I got to talk with you when uh, uh, one of your first books got released with this kind of Rural Voices uh, initiative. But uh, let's let's catch our listeners back up in case they didn't hear that. Um, yeah, what is your kind of background and connection to the rural church? Yes, very similar to Sam. I uh, grew up in a rural church uh, setting, grew up in a town of less than a thousand people in a uh, small town, West Virginia. And um that was kind of all I knew. I didn't realize that pastors were paid, period. Uh, Sam <laughs> talked about <laughs> anyone other than pastors being paid. Love I didn't it. know pastors got paid. And um, I started yeah. I started preaching when I was 20 years old, uh, went on a mission trip to Mexico, and, and uh, the Lord just um, graciously used a redneck like me to lead a man to Christ. And I didn't even speak the same language as him. And that that convicted me a lot. Mm. I'd never led one one person to Christ back home, and and uh, and so the only way I knew to to be an evangelist was to start preaching. And um, of course, that's that's not the only way to evangelize, but that's you know the Lord sure. used it. And so I started preaching and uh, was a youth pastor for five years while I was uh, ended up going to seminary and and things like that. And then planted the church right out of seminary. And so we planted New Heights Church when I was twenty five years old. Had no clue what I was doing. And um, God has graciously held us together uh, with a lot of uh, missteps and pitfalls along the way. But uh, God's grown the church and uh, we're 11 years in at the time of this recording. And um, the Lord just blessed the ministry and um, and held me close and, and taught me a lot along the way. And so um, it's been a fun ride. And uh, the town that we planted the church in is, is about 2,800 people. And um and it's been a cool, cool place. Um, it's just been a really cool place to kind of set set roots down. And it's only about 30 minutes from the farm I grew up on. Um, so still pretty close to where I grew up. And um, and God's just done amazing things. I got a wife. I got five kids. And uh, ministry is a wild ride. Like I said, we're renovating a, a new building. We bought our first property uh, last year. And we've been renovating mm-hmm. it. And so we're hoping to move this fall. Um, so just a couple more months of work and, uh, we're moving into our very first spot that we own after over a decade. So our church is really excited for that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. And hearing both your stories, it's always fun again. Uh, and obviously we'll hear more about it later, but that's, that's the rural voices, you know, kind of hard, right. Is, is, is saying, Hey, we've grown up in these contexts. They've shaped who we are. They're, they're where we live, love and minister. And so, um, so let's dive into these concepts of community. I want to start with you, Sam. You mentioned kind of in your chapter of the book that uh, for pastors, there's these challenges to try and form, you know, healthy friendships. So maybe uh, for our listeners, what are some of those challenges? And really the important part, how do we overcome those challenges, those barriers to forming good good relationships as ministers? Yeah, I, I think the biggest hang up to any 
depth of community, whether we're talking pastoral relationships, whether we're talking people in Sunday school classes or small groups within their church. Uh, the biggest the biggest hang up is our insecurities, which is rooted in our in our pride. Um, and so mm. when you're in a when you're a pastor in a small town, you you have another layer of of obstacles. You know, uh, you may be the only evangelical pastor in your town. Um, you may be you. I mean, there's a lot of churches in rural communities that they may not they may not have a pastor. It's you know we're we got this guy for six months and he's an interim or transitional, and then this guy and it's like a revolving door of, uh, of short-term people. And, and so there may not be a lot of, there may not be another church, another evangelical church, another guy who's there, uh, more than, than, uh, you know, very short term, you may have just like everything else in, in rural living, you may have to drive to find, you know, that, uh, that relationship, that church, that person. And so there's, there's that layer and then we're all we're all busy. We're all squeezed for time. And so sure. if you've got to if you've got to make a greater investment to be able to have access, then that's another thing, um, because you've always whether it's it's yourself or maybe other people in your life telling you, uh, you know, you don't you don't have time for this. Somehow you're being convinced I, I really man the you know, the 30 minutes to an hour drive and then the hour and a half, two hours together. And then the, you know, like that's my day and I, I can't really afford that. And so we, we have those layers of, of uh, obstacles that we were busy, we're, that we may have distance, but then on top of that, there's just, there's just our own insecurities. Like maybe my church isn't as, as big as I'd like it to be. I'd be surprised uh, if there are many pastors out there who'd say like, yeah, man, my church is, I love the size of my church. My church is as big as, <laughs> you know, I'd like to, because we all want to reach people for Christ, which is a good motivation. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that in yeah, conversation. You know? I don't think I've ever heard a pastor say that. Yeah, I'm good. You know, yeah, no one else size. could come. And that's <laughs> exactly, we're fine. No, I'd like, uh, to, I'd like to lose about half of our people, you know, just down. Yeah. Well, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless some uh, blessed addition by subtraction. Well, yeah. so so I think there's some there's some insecurity there, you know, like oh their church is bigger than than mine, and so you know maybe therefore uh, they they think they're better, or maybe maybe they maybe maybe they are better, maybe they are a more gifted speaker, they're a better, sure. and I just and and no no shade on them, they're they're not being stuck up, but I feel so insecure that that they've got more talents, you know, they're, they're a five get talent guy and I'm a one talent guy. And I just, oh, sure. it's just sure. hard for me to, it's hard for me to be with them and be real, you know? And so I, I think our own, or our, we could go the other way, man, I'm the guy with the bigger church and what value is there in the relationship with this guy? I mean, you know, our church has this kind of ecclesiology or our church has this kind of membership or this kind of, theology or this kind of philosophy of ministry and their church doesn't and and we can devalue the relationship with you know with with that guy we can be on the other end of the the, you know pride and insecurity spectrum so i think distance is an obstacle i think schedules 
convincing ourselves that it's worth the investment and then just dealing with our own hearts, our own, our own issues to right. being, being willing to count others more significant than ourselves, being willing to be humble and say, I'm not the greatest leader. We're not the best church. That's not a, it's not a mystery to anyone. I shouldn't act like, you know, like it is. Sure. And uh, so when it comes to then practical tips, because it, it is one thing to say, yeah, these are the obstacles and I should overcome them. But but what are some practical steps? Maybe it's a, a you know, a daily thing you can do or, or just a step you kind of have to take. But like, what is what is a practical way we can begin to overcome those challenges and, and form those relationships? I would say, you know, I, I hate this saying there is some value to it. The whole fake it till you make it. You know, like, mm, like there's that. some things <laughs> that's that's in the Bible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, it's in the book of hesitations. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you so go. it's it's one of those things that uh, like we don't want to encourage people to be to be disingenuine or inauthentic. Mm -hmm. But sure. there are things that we know that we should do and and we have trouble doing them with the right heart motives. But we're probably not going to get the right heart motive by not doing them. You know, and mm. so it, some of it is like, hey, I know I need relationships with guys and I know I need to value relationships with guys, even guys who are different than me. And and it doesn't really maybe excite me right out the, the gate. Like I get together with some of these guys and I may not there may not be instant chemistry, but biblically speaking, I know that the body of Christ is is incredibly diverse people who have gifts that one another need. And it's not like an episode of friends, you know, where they're all in the same sure. stage of life and they, you know, all have the same interest. And so, so I, I'm not feeling this, but I know biblically this is true and good. And so I'm just, I'm just going to lean in and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to, you know, fake it till I, I make it, so to speak. I, I'm going to, even though I'm not feeling the value I know there is an objective value. And so I'm going to, I'm going to lean in. I think sure. that's, I think that's just the first, it's a heart level commitment asking yeah. questions of other guys, learning about one another guys by getting to know them and, and asking questions, being committed. Like I'm going to put my foot forward and try to find out as much about guys and try to get to that level. Uh, where we can where we can be open and, and be real with each other. And, and then I think uh, and these are just I mean, you know, kind of tip of the iceberg things. But I think a third I, yeah, yeah, I think a sure. third step is trying to develop a posture of humility by when you're doing this whole question asking thing, acknowledging, man, that's you know what? That's that's good. We we would benefit from from doing that. Like, how do you guys do whatever? How do you all do this? Visitors. Like, how do you follow up with visitors? And they're like, oh, well, we do whatever. We, you know, show up on their front porch with breakfast on Monday or whatever. Uh, I'm just pulling. Write that down. Write yeah, that yeah, down. yeah, yeah. I'm just We're, kidding. And being able to like have a posture of humility, like, man, that's that's good. I think doing that will endear you to others. But I also think it helps you not have a, a bloated, you know, sense of sure. significance, um, which will, which will sure. helpfully go a long way in developing those relationships. Sure. And one of the things uh, I, I help lead a ministry called small town pastors. And one of the things that we do in multiple locations is monthly lunches. And we kind of go around and share mm -hmm. like, what's like, what's good. What can we celebrate together? What's hard? What's a challenge where we can pray for each other. Mm -hmm. And I, if I, I find when I do that, if, if I ask other guys to lead out, depending on who it is, 
a lot of times what we start with is really superficial, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But if I'll start out and I'll determine like, all right, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just going to go deep. I'm just going to be raw, you know? And, and I lead with that. Then I find that guys are more likely to be real and raw with each mm-hmm. other as well. And there's a, and there's, there's a that. risk there, you know, like, Hey, what if I, what if I'm sure. raw and none of them are raw and then they all go yeah. home and they're like, dude down at, First Baptist, yeah, that guy was out he of control. is jacked yeah. up. Like, it's a wonder his <laughs> wife hasn't left him. It's a wonder his church hasn't fired. You know, right, right. But you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You know, like, all right, are we going to do this or not? And we're never going to do it if I'm not willing to be vulnerable. Like, someone's got to lead the way. What's interesting about these principles, Sam, that I like that you point out is is they're just biblical principles that apply to pastors. But I've seen so many times in rural areas, pastors don't apply them to themselves. They want to apply them to their congregants. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's at, at its mm, base I level, like it's just like practice what you preach. So pastors all the time are preaching. Yeah. You need to be in biblical community. You need to have friendships. You need to have uh, Christians in your life who disciple you and help you do whatever it is you do. And and then so many rural pastors, especially because they're you know far away from the city and uh, critical mass. They're isolated. They're alone. They don't have friends. And a lot of times it's, it's just, there's, there's no effort put into doing that. And the reality is, especially if you're in a, a small town that's, that's off the beaten path, it's going to take effort to network and have other pastors that right. are, they're speaking into your life and helping you. And the reality is you, you can't get that kind of camaraderie and understanding from people that aren't doing ministry like you're doing and and you yeah. need it in your life for your own mental health and your emotional state and your spiritual well-being if you're going to pastor well. Yeah, I don't I don't know if yeah. if you guys ever had someone say I I actually had a pastor that I that I worked with, worked under whatever um tell me one time basically you can't be in so many words, you can't be real with people in the church. Like you have to, like you're on staff, you have to be really guarded. And like, you just can't, again, he didn't use those exact words, but you can't be real with those people. And so, and that was early on. I was in youth ministry. I was, you know, 20, maybe 21 years old. And, um, and I think whether pastors have had someone coach them in that, or whether it's just become kind of like a subconscious thing, uh, a lot of guys aren't used to being real with the people in their own church. And so when they get around other guys, it's like, well, I'm not real with people in my own church. Why would I be real with, you know, someone else? We got to start saying like, biblically, that's bad advice. It's, it's dishonest. Unless maybe that pastor Sam was just saying that maybe wasn't saying you can't be real in a general sense, but maybe you Sam Byers cannot be real. Cause you're just too messed up. (laughs) Like we got to conceal yeah, who you right. really are clean up on aisle three we got to contain yeah. this guy yeah that's fair well and honestly i love i love how no matter what the idea of you know because i do get that sometimes it can backfire certain you know authenticity and transparency weirdly enough are not always the same word like it's not like hey i have to have every open detail of yeah. my life but it's like no but i want to live authentically and be real but but hey um i do want to move you know to this this next question here so will throwing it over to you in your chapter i really loved and this was a connection I had not personally made, but but you started with the Lord's Prayer and the idea of how it shows community among believers. So the first part of this question, I just want you to like highlight that big idea for us. When you read the Lord's Prayer, how did it point 
towards this concept of community? And then what are the practical ways the church creates that community? Yeah, there's a phrase that the Lord uses when he says, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the chapter I wrote in Church Out Here, uh, really just zoned in on the Lord's Prayer and and asked, why did Jesus say something like that? And that can be used in a lot of like kooky theological ways, like heaven rain down and it can sure, get sure. real mystic. And and that's that's not what that's not where I take it. But um, but what I what I do think that the Lord wants us to see in in that prayer is that the expressions of the heavenly family have very real presence on earth uh, in the church. And so um, especially in an age where attractional church is really popular, basically attractional church models say, let's take everything the world likes and then let's Christianize it sure. so that then they'll like Christianity. Sure. But but instead, I think what the Lord is praying when he says your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven, that, that we take everything that heaven will be like and we do that now. Hmm. And that's actually the most attractional thing the church can do. And so, um, so then as, as the Lord prays, you know, and, and he says things like, give us, give us this day, our daily bread. So an act of provision, uh, the church should be a place where people are provided for. Mm. And so, especially in rural places with ministries like benevolence and, and poverty care and stuff, um, you know, the Bible says, let us do good to those, especially who are of the household of faith. Mm. So I think that, uh, one of the things that, that needs to be modeled on earth as it is in heaven is that those who are in the family of God are taken care of, that we model heaven when we do that. And so I I stand up at our church all the time and I say there should never be a member of this church who's faithful, walking with the Lord that can't pay a bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's our responsibility as God's family to, to pay our brothers and sisters bills for them when they can. And then that doesn't mean we don't help the poor in our town, but as we do that, we're letting them see we're able to help so much more those who are who are walking in community with our church, mm-hmm. and we invite them into our church and say, if you would if you would come and repent and become a Christian and join our church, like there's a whole family of people who would love to help you on a continual basis, you know, to get where you need to be. Um, and that's just one example of many where I think if we model what heaven looks like well, it'll be the most attractional piece of our church, and we won't just need like lights and fog and you sure. know, hip music. So. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love the idea of just, uh, I, I really, I, I, it was a refreshing focus because I think, again, most times when people talk about Christians reaching out, it really is like a reaching out. It's like, oh, if you want to reach your community, make sure you take care of, you know, the world's poor and the world's, and, and again, we get it. It's not that we're, it's not at the expense of that one, but just, just the shift in focus to be willing to say like, hey, there is a whole chunk of the Bible. I mean, it's, it's, it was almost as if you said that. And I just, it was all these scripture, you know, like the red yarn on the wall, you know, all these scriptures suddenly connected where I was like, (laughs) Oh yeah, no, that's like, that's the whole book of acts. Like this is how the church function. You said, let there not be a needy person among you. Like let's, you know, there was just so much care given to the community to the point where the community itself, the love shown became the attraction to the world because they hadn't experienced it. And like, what a powerful statement. Yeah, even in Jerusalem, a passage you're talking about, the Bible says that there was not a needy person among them, meaning in the church. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a poor person in Jerusalem, but those who were rebellious against the Lord, who had no desire to repent, um, were not spared of their poverty. Um, and and it's easy for people to look at the church and say, well, that's hateful, that's hateful, right. until you realize that all are welcome. Like our gospel, right. the message you we preach, come and anyone can come into this. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, uh, just like the policy we have at our church is we help an individual three times. And on that third time, we say, this is our last time helping you 
but unless you you come into the church and if you come into the church there is no limit on what we will give you um there's no cap on the financial amount we will invest into your life because you're a brother or sister in Christ um but but yeah in Jerusalem they ended they ended poverty in the church hmm. there was no no needy person in the church and um i just think that's a powerful statement and and i think churches should take that seriously because if we do then then people would be like even if it's kind of a superficial reason, maybe they don't fully believe the gospel yet, but they'll right. be like, man, that's, I kind of want in on that. Right, what a, right. what a good community to be a part of. They pay bills for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so flipping it back to you, Sam. Uh, so this is kind of fun because um, you used a word in your chapter that uh, I don't mm-hmm. encounter a lot uh, to the point where I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. I think it's ca- like Catholicity yeah. or Catholicity or something. Catholic- I don't even know. Uh-huh. Catholicity, right? And so it's this idea of kind of this universal tone of the church, you know, little C, so it's not the big Catholic church in a sense, but just that universal church. So so what does that look like practically? Maybe walk us through what that term means to you. And then what does that look like practically as a pastor is trying to do the work of the ministry to find partners and, and, and camaraderie yeah. there? Listen, Joe, on the on the editing side of this, I was like, Sam, you know, we got 12 Protestants writing a book, and I'm like, Sam, you're going to throw the word Catholic out here. So, so good. We got to define yeah. this really I know, well. It's true. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> we need a definition because this is getting weird up in here. You know, it's just... well, he did so, a good job with so it. Yeah. I, I, I was raised uh, really with an anti Catholic um, upbringing. Sure. And, I, and it, it wasn't because of such solid reformational grace alone, faith alone theology i think i think it was rooted in a lot of cultural anti-immigrant other things um even though those things weren't necessarily spoken but um so so anytime you you know you hear the the word catholic it's kind of like oh you mean pray to mary purgatory all of all of this business and then another word that's has some similarities is uh ecumenicalism Mm. Yeah, a lot of baggage for that for some people. Yeah, and it's like, uh, oh, Billy Graham, he was a compromiser because he was ecumenical. He would, you know, he would work with people who weren't uh, fundamentalist. He would work with people who weren't inerrantist. And uh, and so even the the right Reverend Billy Graham, like, uh, he's a he's a compromiser. A- and doctrine matters absolutely. And there are some there are some things where we have to say like, hey, we. Can- you know, uh, we can't go past this point because of our sure, sure. of our doctrinal differences. Uh, but if you if you go back far enough in history before uh, Roman was an adjective to the word Catholic, all it was was a sense of hey, this is who's all together. We got Gnostics. Mm. We on the yeah, same. Yeah, we got Gnostics over here who say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. We've got uh, mystics over here who are saying all kinds of uh, crazy things. We've got Judaizers over here, but but we're the church Catholic. We're the ones who are all together on this message of Jesus is the Son of God, and we're all a part of the the whole church. Not under not under any kind of institutional authority, but but around this truth. Yeah. Sure, and sure. so that is, that is the most historic um, use of, of that word. And I think it has value to be reclaimed. And so when I look at, 
Yeah, when I look at uh, our our churches and in, in our community, we have technically we have four Southern Baptist churches, uh, but one of them meets in a in a motel and and they've got a, a really unique name, and I, I don't think anyone knows exactly what they are. A Presbyterian church, a Disciples of Christ church, an Assembly of God church, three Methodist churches, and a Roman Catholic church, and most of these churches are fairly small. We have our differences. But they're all a part of the fabric of the community. Um, there are there are community leaders and business owners and long tenured uh, families in the community who are connected to these institutions. And so when I first came to town, I came to town as like, oh, I'm the I'm the uh, Bible believing evangelical, and I'm not going to be a compromiser and. And I would, you know, say things from the pulpit like 75 percent of the people at the churches in this town probably don't even know the Lord. <laughs> yeah, because Except yours, because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> obviously, obviously, because I'm making broad brush uh, statements about denominations like, well, this denomination is historically liberal and this denomination is historically, sure, you know, sure, whatever. Yeah. And and so so therefore guilt by association and the people who go there don't know the Lord. And things are just different in a small town. Yeah. And so there the Lord has his people at churches that maybe historically are liberal, maybe in larger communities are very, very liberal, but in a small town, they might just be gospel light. Sure. Sam, you know, you know what I've seen a lot is that um people, the members of those churches. It's not that they don't know the Lord. It's a lot of times they don't yeah. know the denomination. It's like, that's just, that's just yeah. like the closest church of their house or that's exactly. where their family went. And they're not aligned with the denominational uh, doctrine. Yeah. so yeah, much part of the local as much body, as they're yeah. just, they're just in that building trying yeah, to serve if the You Lord, told you know? them like, Hey, did you know that your denomination believes X, Y, Z? They'd be surprised. They yeah. would, they would say, I don't believe that. And then they would be mad at you for dogging their denomination. <laughs> probably. <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, especially indeed. the one that meets in that hotel. <laughs> that's no one knows right. what's, going on. what's going on there. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> they just and love so, Jesus. <laughs> so I, I found out very, you know, very quickly, like this posture that I'm taking is not it's not resonating with the members of our church because they know all these people and they've known and they've known them most of their lives. And some of them, their families have been friends yeah. for several generations and so this defensive us against them posturing with Christians or professing Christians from other denominations, it's not gaining me capital with people in my church, and it's not advancing the kingdom of God in our community. Mm. And so it was, okay, if the Catholicity, if the, the unity of the church is around doctrinal truth and not around institutional parameters— uh, or not within institutional parameters, then what are those doctrinal truths that we can say, hey, we do agree on this. Let's highlight this. And what I what we did this little we did this little exercise one time in the ministerial alliance meeting. And I said, you know, hey, we have a lot of differences around this table. We would be we would be foolish to act like we didn't have different beliefs about baptism, different approaches. What though can we all say like yes? Every one of us would raise our hands and say, I agree with that. And sure. so we just started writing out stuff on a whiteboard. And basically, we came up with the Nicene Creed. 
or the Apostles' Love Creed. Love that. I mean, you know, basically, we came up with a list of truths that we'd say, you know what, this this established what the church united around 17, 1800 years ago. And right. so we're, we've got things that we are obviously not going to unite around. But can we unite around the fact that Jesus, these, the eternal Son of God, fully God and fully man, who died on the cross for sins and rose again on the third day? Um, let's, you know, let's say that louder for the people in the back. Sure. And uh, and there so there is a there is a sense of Catholicity like, hey, we are a part of the whole that believes this truth. Let's focus on what we believe and let's let's run with that as as much as we can. We know there's limits. We know that we're we're only going to be able to run together so far. But in so far as we can run together around these key Christian truths. Let's do that. And you do that for the for the sake of the community, right. too, and the mission. Like that there are people in our towns that need to hear the gospel and not hear right. the bickering. Um, and, you know, I, I had a woman in my office yesterday that just she found out that we were a part of a denomination. And we're one of those weird churches Sam was talking about. Like we don't have our denomination in our name. And um, and so she didn't know. And she, when she found out we were we were a Baptist church, she was like. Oh my gosh! I don't yeah. know if I want in now. And it was like, yeah, you yeah, loved exactly, everything exactly. before you found out. So, like, what's the baggage? And it was like, well, you know, I grew up going to a Methodist church, and they always fought with the Baptists, and so like all that baggage and history of bickering was so unhelpful, right? And and so I, I think our churches need to do, uh, you know, and it starts with pastors. I think just need to do such a better job of representing Christ-like unity to. Uh, the people around us, um, because because I think we don't realize the damage yeah, it does yeah. sometimes. And I think too, uh, one of the side effects and kind of going along with the the overall theme of of your chapter, Sam, was like once you you see Catholicity, it does open up the door for friendships. I mean, there's a lot of lone wolves. You know, there's a lot of people who might live three doors down from another pastor in their town who are just not feeling community, not feeling supported, not feeling seen. And suddenly, when you find out what you can agree on you gain a friend, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm on the executive like state leadership team for the assemblies of God for Montana. Like this has been my denomination my whole life. And here I'm in a, on a, on a podcast with two reformed Baptists. And also like when I was in my small town, there was a Baptist minister and we were just good friends. And like, it, it didn't, it just ceased to matter a little bit. You know, it was like, Hey, if I want friends, if I want yeah. connection and camaraderie, yeah, then this is okay. And that's okay. You know, and, and, and it, and truth be told, yeah. I often found it just, I got more friends and didn't suffer any ill consequences. You know, I just got to have more friends in ministry and that was nice. Yeah. And it was nice for them too, you know, cause a lot of them, yeah. there's a lot of independent churches in small towns who don't have denominational events or supporting networks. And, uh, and it ends up being pretty, you know, pretty lonely for them. So, yeah, my neighborhood's like the beginning of a, a joke. I have, a. Uh, a woman uh, minister at the Methodist Church, and then two doors up is the uh, elderly minister from the Presbyterian Church. And um, we're all right within, you know, three, four houses of each other. Um, but when someone's family has has a need, you know, we're praying for each other. And there's just something really sweet about having relationships in spite of differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey, uh, Will, I want to flip it back to you kind of as we wrap up here. And and we touched on this a little bit, but maybe maybe give us that that grand picture, you know. But uh, what's the result of a church that has a healthy culture of caring for its people? Because I think, I think obviously we all want to fulfill the Great Commission, and so the idea of like I want to reach out to a dying world, I want to reach out to a lost world. And upon reading your chapter, I was like, 
again, I was a little surprised by like, ah, this is kind of a focus inward mentality, but it's not. And so, you know, what effect does it have on that unbelieving community when, when communities practiced well in the church? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it definitely feels counterintuitive to write in that vein because it feels like you're, you're just turning sure. inward and focusing inward, but like so much of the Bible teaches us to do that. It, all the one another commandments, uh, the provisions of benevolence, all those things. But that is not to the exclusion of sure. outreach. Um, it's actually for the inclusion of other people to be invited into that. And so, like, I think one of the things that's most helpful for our church to to really reach the lost is to is for the, the members of our church to feel truly cared for. When they feel cared for, they are more excited to invite people in. Because, I mean, if, if, if they're members of, our, of, a, of a church um, that, that makes them mad all the time, that has people that disagree with them all the time, that they're bickering and fighting with all the time over the color of the carpet or their political views or whatever it may be, then they're not, they're not going to be excited to invite the lost to come to church with them and to be a part of the family of God with them. But if they're part of a church that, that truly cares about them um, and takes care of them and prays for them and they love the community, then it's going to be something they're way more willing to. And this is usually subconscious, right? But they're going to be way more willing to invite people along with them. Most people don't, you know, outwards, maybe some people, but most people don't outwardly say, even though I'm a Christian, I'm not going to evangelize or invite people sure. to church because my church yeah. makes me mad. But subconsciously, it yeah. happens a lot. And um, and so one of the things that's like just so prevalent for us, I think, since 2020, um, it just ramped up and got hyped up was um, just political differences. And yeah, um, because really our church is so. Oh, yeah. And um, because our church is so young, our church is very politically diverse. And with us not having history of, of kind of being in one political camp, um, man, 2020 was rough. Really, 2020 is like we had uh, like Dove commercials in Ford that was like, you know, we're in this together. Like yeah. you know, companies that didn't make any sense, you know, during the pandemic, yeah, like yeah. we're here for you. And everyone yeah, loves exactly. each other. And then and then 2021 came and we all hated each other. Yeah. And so it was really hard for the church because you had this political extremism. And, and especially in a, in a church like ours, that was politically diverse. We begin to see that. And, and really the solution we found, I mean, if people are just going to be mad and fight, they're going to be mad and fight. But, sure. but the solution to a lot of that wasn't let's find a compromise uh, politically or culturally or ideologically, but instead of finding some sort of compromise or middle ground, it was caring for one another. Mm. And all of a sudden it was like a light bulb click with our leadership. We began to see, man, like if, if someone brings you a meal when you're fresh out of the hospital, it doesn't matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. You just right. become really thankful for your brother or sister that brought you a meal. And and when you begin to build a culture like that in your church where real care is happening, then political differences or cultural differences or preferences begin to take a back seat rather than a front seat. And then what we noticed was it didn't just create an inward culture at our church. It actually made us more evangelistic. So our elders, I mean, we just thought, man, that's the that's the key to everything. If we can create community where our church cares for one another real well, it'll create an attractive culture and it'll actually in, empower our people to invite mm. others into that family. I love that. Any thoughts on that, Sam? You know, no, I, uh, no I, I think he's right on is when people are are serving one another, you can't have a clenched fist and open your hand to receive at the same time. And so sure. that definitely it humbles us. And um uh, I love mm -hmm. it, man. Awesome. 
Well, gentlemen, uh, I do want to say thank you again for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate both your contributions. Yeah, my my privilege. I've enjoyed talking with you guys today. Yeah, thanks for having us on again, Joe. And it's always uh, it's always cool to hear about where the podcast is reaching and uh, and what you, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, for our listeners, uh, again, the name of that book is Church Out Here: Insights from Small Town Churches. It's uh, kind of a collaboration project, and so you're gonna want to check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes, and then also. Um, this is part of a broader movement, kind of a, a base of resources that's been jumping out. And I know that um, when I talked to Will originally on the podcast, I really respected your heart because the idea, you know, we we talked through, I mean, how sometimes rural leaders aren't readers because sometimes there's just that barrier there. And you're like, hey, what if I made just really short books, really accessible stuff, nothing too heady, nothing too, you know, it's not like lack of depth, but it's a different kind of way of presenting knowledge. And, uh, and I've loved it. I've just loved the format. And so we'll throw that in the, the show notes as well, but it's ruralchurchvoices.com. Uh, and it's just a great set of resources. And I think that they're always kind of moving and shaking with what they're going to do next. And so uh, from us at Rural Advancement, we just want to say uh, thank you again for tuning in. Um, it is our goal, again, every single week to bring you content that speaks right to the heart of rural ministry and right to the heart of the rural church. Uh, so again, be encouraged, be equipped, and uh, and we're excited to see what God does in your small town. So I have been your host, Joe Epley. They have been Pastors Will Basham and Pastor Sam Byers, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.